continue uh, putting our putting our thoughts and prayers for our churches in Ukraine and, and in Russia. But let's go ahead and give the Floreses a round of applause uh, for being here and visiting our church. Uh, it, you know, uh, Hope Worldwide has always been a huge part of my life, and growing up, it's so awesome to just see how it just can. For, like kind of advance even after me. And so it's so good that you guys are really helping uh, lead that front in our church. And so, uh, so again, that's, uh, we're, we're going to continue our time here in the book of Romans. Uh, and so if you guys can all turn your Bibles to Romans 1, uh, we are going to be uh, starting in verse 18. But before we uh, start our time here, let's go ahead and uh, start with a word of prayer uh, because we're going to need it. Uh, amen. That's uh, kind of a little preface of what we're going to be talking about. But amen. Let's let's go ahead and, and, and join our spirits with God. Uh, Heavenly Father, God, thank you so much for just the time that you've um, brought us here. Uh, God, it is so true what Scott said. It, it is. It, it feels like the Spirit is here. Uh, it feels like uh, your presence is here. And, and God, when two or three gather, you are here. Uh, God, and there is so many people in this building right now, Lord. So it is so encouraging. Uh, to be with my brothers and sisters, God, and to open up your word and allow your spirit to really speak through. Lord, I pray uh, that we can connect with your heart, uh, that we can connect with your love, uh, to know that it is a gift that we have in our lives. Uh, God, but we love you. Pray for everything in your mighty son's name. Amen. Amen. Uh, I'm sure in this room right now there is a lot of pet peeves. Raise your hand if you have pet peeves. Okay. All right. Amen. Uh, And we all know that lying is a sin, but raise your hand if lying is your pet peeve. Like if you hear a lie, you are. Oh, my. Wow. This is this is this is the no lying crew. If you lie to anyone in this crew right here. Oh, man. Peace be with you. All right. This is a house of grace. Okay, so I'm going to preface what I'm about to say. This is a house of grace This is a house of of no shame, right? So we're not going to judge each other. But be honest. Raise your hand if you often make white lies. Wow, come on, Tony. That's some solidarity. All right, yes. Yes, I'm sure that we've all made white lies either to get out of a situation, maybe to try and solve a problem. And I'm sure this is true for all kids, but when I was a kid, I would come up with the most outlandish lies, crazy lies. But we, we have all lied at one point when we were children, right? And so I'm going to show a pic. Everyone knows who this is? Okay, if you guys don't know who this is, this is John Mayer. John Mayer is a, uh, is a recording artist. He is a talented man on the guitar, but he's made a lot of great songs. Um, and this is, this is going to be part of my story. I just didn't put up a picture of him randomly. Uh, but when I was in fourth grade, I had a crush on this girl in my class, and her name was Lindsay Chu. So if, Lindsay, you are watching this, the story is about you. Yes, I used her real name. Uh, but I heard from some of her friends uh, in, in my class that she really liked poetry. And I was an immigrant in the Philippines, in Hawaii at the time, so my English was really bad, so I know that, man, I'm not going to be the best poet, and I'm not going to win her heart. But my dad really loved John Mayer. That was his favorite artist. And at the time, he came out with this hit that was in the radios 
for 24-7 titled, Your Body is a Wonderland. That's the name of the song. And so I heard it on the radio. I didn't know what it meant. I didn't know what the lyrics meant. And so I said, you know what? I've listened to this song. My dad has played it countless of times. Let me just go ahead and write the lyrics down on a piece of paper. And so I plagiarized it. I plagiarized it. I didn't even say by John Mayer. I said by Roy Gonzalez. I changed the title because I thought it was a little inappropriate. And I don't want to talk about her body, right? So, you know, I, 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 I made it my original piece of work in hopes that it would win her heart. And so I put it on her desk. She came to class that day. She read it, and she just had this, like, look on her face. So I don't know if it was probably the words that caused her to make that look, or maybe she was just really, like, taken back that she has a poem on her, on her desk. And so what, it, what do girls do in elementary school where they get all their friends together and they, they read the, the poem? Absolutely. And so a couple of her friends thought it was a sweet gesture, and so they made smiles, but there was this one girl in that circle that just gave me this death stare. And it, it almost felt like I think she knew exactly what those words were. Uh, and she came up to me and was like, hey, uh, I know that song. Because her mom is a fan of John Mayer. Uh, and and she, she called me out, and I was just beating with sweat. And I was, man, she's going to rat me out, which she did. And so like the liar I am. I tried to convince these group of girls and Lindsay that I wrote this piece of work. I wrote it. It's mine. And then the girl said, no, no, no. It's by this guy named John Mayer. Don't believe Roy. He is a liar. And so I said, you know what? John Mayer is my uncle. John Mayer is related to me. He, he gave me the rights to use this word to woo you, Lindsay. Uh, and you know what? And I've genuinely held this to be true that, that, you know, I would walk into school acting like I'm this famous person's nephew. And I would just try weeks and weeks to convince people that I was related to John Mayer, which obviously I'm not. I'm an immigrant from the Philippines. I'm not related to John Mayer, right? So I've made this lie and continually built onto this lie that at one point that it became true to me and soon my classmates caught into the lie so you know obviously they couldn't believe anything i said for the next few months which i completely deserved all right but i share the story because as we continue on our time here in romans and at the end of this chapter it shows us the angry side of god and we don't live to make god angry right we don't want to make god angry we want to love god but if we want to be a church that loves god we also need to be aware of the things that make God tick. Am I right? So Paul wanted to show people that God becomes angry to the sinful when they substitute the truth for a lie. When they substitute the truth for a lie. And what is that truth, right? That God has revealed himself to all people. You know, he revealed himself to the world. And if you want to know what I'm talking about, you know, he gave us the inspired word of God literally in our hands. The gospel that Paul has been talking about all of Romans and will continue to talk about, we get to live it. And you're living it right now. But in our sin, especially when we know the truth, 
We exchange it for a lie to, our, to support our self-centered ways. And we often lie to, uh, to be selfish and we choose ways aside from God and we lie to ourselves that it's enough more than God. Worse is when we don't choose God time and time again that we are convinced that we no longer need God. You know, God then aims to respond, right? God then aims to restore our lives and calls us out of sin. But again, people still can become stubborn and continually choose the sin. And of course, God becomes angry, right? Of course, God can be frustrated at that because he sees us encountering a downward spiral. And that is the title of our time here today, The Downward Spiral and the Ladder of Grace. It sounds like a movie title, Uh, you know, so... But like every good book title, every good title, you know, movie title, it needs to have a hook. And, you know, the, ends of, the end of Romans 1, it, it's really a hard truth. And it's going to be difficult to hear. But as you can tell by the title, the end of the sermon is going to be good, right? So, and that's where we'll go into in Romans 2. So let's pick back up in verse 18. In Romans 1:18, it says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. So this verse talks about the wrath of God. And Paul argues here that all people are involved in this hard fact. Right? No one can say in their lives that they are good in the eyes of God. That Paul is saying that everyone deserves condemnation and everyone deserves the wrath of god and i don't know about you but when i hear the wrath of god in any lesson i just immediately want to tune out right because it's not because i think i'm good but when i think about the wrath of god it is just a very hard concept to hear right to know that the god that loves us also has the power to become very angry at me. So it's a very scary thought when we think about the wrath of God. And in my faith, I've wrestled with this idea, and I think it would be great for us together to break uh, this down, to define the wrath of God. Amen? And so, the wrath of God, or wrath, the definition is extreme anger. Extreme anger. That's that's not fun, right, when we think about that. And so what we're going to do as we talk about uh, the wrath of God and having this definition in mind, what we're going to do is we're going to break, break it down to three things, okay? So together we're going to talk about what is God angry about, why is God angry, and how is God angry, amen? And so we're going to start off with what is God angry about? We all know, okay, God, what are you angry about? I want to know, right? In Romans 1.18, we're going to read that again. Uh, and again, it says that the wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And so many people, including me at points in my life, wrestle with this question, and I'm sure many of you have, but it's it's this question, right? Why does a loving God become so angry that they can send someone to hell? We've all asked that at one point in our lives, right? We all know people that may have never heard of the Bible, but... It wrestles with that question. And I even think about even the people that have never heard of the gospel, even the people that have never heard of God, how can God, a loving God, 
send them to hell. And the Bible shows God, and this is one of the roots of Paul's message about the gospel, that God has revealed himself plainly to all people. So we need to really uh, buckle down on that idea that people with even the little amount of knowledge of God and with some sense of what God wants still can reject and choose not to live up to it. So if people choose to live their own way, then they really have no excuse with what happens, right? Now imagine the people who know the truth, who have heard the truth, who lived the truth, you and I. And for those who know the truth, we too will endure consequences of ignoring it as well. And God puts the ball on our court. God gives us the choice. And for him to witness what we do with it, I'm sure that it's probably really frustrating. Now, God puts the responsibility on our, on our side, and he has seen time and time again people just walk away, choose to not live out the truth. So I, I do see how God can be frustrated. So what is God angry about? It's not about the act of obedience. It's the fact that God who created people, you and I, can be ignored by his own creation. And so why is God angry? And so Romans 1, 20 to 21, you guys can turn with me there. Um, but oftentimes when I encounter really hard topics, especially in the Bible, and when I read really like strong language, I oftentimes use the message translation to help me connect with it emotionally. And so when I, when I was writing this lesson and I was reading it in the message translation, I just thought that this little subsection in, the, in, in this chapter was translated so well in the message, but I, it, it is pretty hard to hear. But I think, I think it, it really helps, uh, helps me see why God is angry. And so we'll read it together. It's up on the screen. It says, what happened was this. I love that passage. What happened was this. It's explaining to me clear. Thank you. What happened was this. People knew God perfectly well, but when they didn't treat him like God, refusing to worship him, they trivialized themselves into silliness and confusion so that there was neither sense nor direction left in their lives. They pretended to know it all, but were illiterate regarding life. They traded the glory of God who holds the whole world in his hands for cheap figurines you can buy at any roadside stand. Wow. I read it and I was just mind blown uh, by how I, even myself, have fit in that passage. And who gets angry when people don't listen to you, right? I'm sure we all get angry when people don't listen to us. Uh, We probably get really angry when we give clear instructions and people still don't listen, right? Go take a ride on that street and you see them take a left and you're like, oh my gosh, what can I do, right? Or maybe, maybe you might have heard this, honey, I told you to buy eggs at the store, told you three times, and you come back with no eggs. And better yet, you come back with a, come back with a bag of potato chips. I told you three times, and my wife is not here to attest that. But anyways, I don't have to, I don't have to explain how frustrating that can be, right? Parents, you want your kids to listen to you. Spouses, husbands, wives, you want The other person, you want your partner to listen to you. You also want to feel heard. And God loves it when his children listen to him. 
And the very sin that banished men in the Garden of Eden, and we got to remember that, was because God's creation didn't follow instructions. And so how do we not make God angry? We listen to his instructions. We heed his advice. We take what he's communicating in you or with you seriously. And the good news is he wants us to listen to him, and he's a God that wants to hear you. So when you approach God in whatever season in your life, good or bad, I want you guys to have the faith and be fired up that God feels fired up when he hears you. God wants to listen to you, but we also need to listen to him. Amen. In Jeremiah three nineteen verse 20, we all know this scripture like the back of our hands. And it says, how gladly would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me, but like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. Ouch. You know, so is it justified that God gets angry? Right? Do we understand why God is angry? Because we are unfaithful to him, but he wants to treat us like his children. He wants to hold on to that connection, but oftentimes we take advantage, right? So this leads us to our next question then. So then how is God angry? How is God angry? And in Psalm 103, verse 8 to 14, let's all turn there together. I'm not going to put it up on the screen. I don't think I put it up on the screen because we're going to open up our Bibles, right? And so in Psalm 103, 8 to 14, if you guys get there, go ahead and shout amen. 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 All right. So it says in Psalm 103, verse 8 to 14, the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. And when I read this passage and I try to answer that question, how is God angry? Well, I got to view this passage and remember that God is slow to anger. And so we're going to break that down a little bit with the word wrath, right? And so I looked up the Greek translation, and the Greek word of wrath is orge, orge, right? But it comes from, it's the root word of another Greek word named orgal. Everyone say orgal, orgal. That kind of sounds a little weird, but Orgal, which is wrath, means to team or to swell. And I want you guys to, to, to look at that definition, to team or to swell. And I want you to catch that because if that's the definition, then this implies that God's anger is not an outburst. It's not in your face. It's not when you make a mistake, boom, you get the punishment. But it's controlled. It develops. When I think about a swell, I think about the ocean. I think about a wave, 
right? You see kind of a little mound forming, you know, maybe 200 feet, and as it grows and approaches, it becomes a bigger and bigger wave to what we see on the shore. It develops. And so the wrath of God is controlled. And I think about this name of God or the different names of God, and one of the names is Elkanah. Right, so people have approached God, and, and his name is Elkanah. In Exodus thirty four fourteen. it says, Do not worship any god or any other god, for the Lord whose name is Jealous is a jealous god. And we've all have wrestled, or not wrestled, but have all studied out this idea of God being jealous. Right, When we think about idols in our lives, things that we put in a priority, and, and we put our heart, we put our minds and desires into it, obviously God who witnesses that will become jealous. Right? God wants your love. God wants your attention. And so God is a jealous God. But he's also named Jehovah, which is God the Father. And when I think about a father, when I think about the qualities of, that resembles a father, I think about the many qualities that God has even uh, shared or, or pioneered to, for what a real father is, it, that it leads, that a father leads in Joshua 1, 9. It protects, 2 Thessalonians 3, 3. It provides, Matthew six thirty three. It's unconditional and everlasting, John 4, 9, Romans eight thirty five. So God being this and us knowing this, Right, That when we continue to sin, then God lets us go. And unfortunately, Paul shows us in the rest of Romans 1 that people have continued to sin to the point that he gave us over to that sin. And I never really understood that. But after, after studying, I, I kind of remembered right, that God can't just flood the earth again. Right? God can't just flood the world and start over like he did in the past because God is a God of promise, amen? But the bad news is that this is the world we live in today. Now, we have been given over to our sin so greatly. And we just heard about our churches in Ukraine and Russia. And you see the news, you see the world today and it almost feels like this is not the world that God has intended to create. And so a lot of fathers want to hold on to their child, but it's only when they let them go that they can truly learn from their mistakes. Am I right? Is, is, that, is that something that you fathers do? Right? Because I, I truly believe that the God we worship, God, God is smart. God knows what he's doing. And so it's hard to read that in the end of that chapter that, he, that God gives of over to the sin, but the good news is that it doesn't end there. It doesn't end there. And in Romans 2, we're going to briefly just kind of fly by in the first few, cha- uh, first few verses, but we're, I'm going to give you guys some practicals. And so we know the wrath of God. We need to take it seriously. But what does that then mean for me, and how can I apply that to my life? Because really, it's a, it, it's a hard pill to swallow. Right. And it's a response to the hard pill to swallow in Romans two. And the, and the first practical is be slow to judge and quick to love. And so let's all turn, turn to Romans two. We're going to read verse one together. And it says here and Paul says, you, therefore, have no excuse. You who pass judgment on someone else. 
For at whatever point you judge another, you are condemning yourself because you who pass judgment do the same things. Paul is laying it down. Now we know that God's judgment against those who do such things is based on truth. So when you, a mere human being, pass judgment on them and yet do the same thing, do you think you will escape God's judgment? Or do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience, not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance? So we need to point out sin. I think it's so important that we talk about sin, that we approach sin, that we point out sin, that we help those who are in a life of sin, but we cannot condemn, for we are all sinners. Right? Jesus conveys that same love in how he lived. And I believe Jesus practically showed us this with the woman that was caught in adultery in John 8, verse 111, right? That Jesus shows that grace, that, that grace is his first approach. That it wasn't to condemn the woman for her crime, but it was to show her grace. Leave your life of sin. Go sin no more. Right? And Jesus mirrors this heart of God. And he is God in the flesh. And so I love when I read passages and stories about Jesus where he, he has a slowness in his anger. And it's important that we too love the world in this way rather than being quick to be angry and condemn. Amen. Practical too is we've got to take repentance seriously. And Paul here in verse 5 to 8 Let's let's go back to the word. It says, but because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath when his righteous judgment will be revealed. God will repay each person according to what they have done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. So Paul here shows us that so shows us what happens when we choose either righteousness or we choose to go down the path of stubbornness and not repenting. But I want to point out that when we sin, and it says here in the passage that what, what we're doing is we are storing. We are storing up wrath. So meaning that we are gradually adding and keeping and hoarding Right. So God's anger develops. And which means that he gives us chances and time to repent. But we must know that we need to have an urgency and we need to know that we have to take the grace that we have seriously. And I always find it odd when I see people have signs, right, or are out in the corner saying, repent, repent for the kingdom is near. Right. And I'm like, oh, like I just get cringy. Right. But I I read Romans, two and I'm like, they're on to something. And 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 maybe maybe they're kind of going crazy. But but I need to hear that. And I need to say, you know what? You're right. Amen. I do need to repent. I do need to take it seriously because God or Jesus is coming. Right. And it's so true, and this leads me to my next practical, and bear with me, but my next practical is called Be a Humble Sinner. Be a Humble Sinner. And in Romans two twelve to 13, it says here, All who sin apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. 
And all who sin under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not those who hear the law who are righteous in God's sight, but it is those who obey the law who will be declared righteousness. So what is it saying? Right? That the truth is that we are all sinners. Right? We need God. And this should be the very thing that should unite us all in this room is that we are all sinners in need of God. Right? And in... And that in our darkness of sin, we have all experienced the goodness of God's love through Jesus. And that's the gospel that Paul talks about in Romans. But what happens when we get prideful in our righteousness? What happens when we no longer take the righteousness that we have seriously? And I believe that we can get pharisaical in our righteousness. That we can become comfortable. And we can feel like we are good. That we can feel, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm okay right now. I'm, I'm solid, right? But Paul says it here is that we have an easy time knowing what sin is, but a harder time often admitting to our sin. We know, we know what to point out. We know that this is sin, right? But we have a harder time when we're on the chopping block and we have to own up to our mistakes, And there is a fine line between hearing and knowing and living it out. Amen? Do we we believe that there's a line between knowing and a line between living it out? There's a difference. There is a difference. And God shows us that the first step to forgiveness and healing is admitting to ourselves that we will frequently fail. And we need God. And so we are all sinners. Amen? But we need to be a humble sinner. We didn't know that we need God, we need the grace of Jesus, and we need people in our community to help us when we fall. Amen? And so, in conclusion, right, God's wrath is something to take seriously. And it's kind of crazy that Scott happened to go to Ocotillo this weekend and said, hey, man, you're preaching this week, and I was preaching on the topic of God's wrath. (laughs) And it's hard. It's a hard topic. But in the way that God's wrath is for all people, that means the power of Jesus' sacrifice is for all people. That we need to be a people of God that lives in gratitude that although his wrath and power is big, his love for you is even bigger. Right? And God chooses to love before he chooses to punish, and that's the Father we worship. Amen? So let's help each other be aware that we can be on a downward spiral. That when we live a life of sin, that we are just continually going through the motions and we need to help each other. But also in Romans 2, right, the practicals to be slow to judge, take repentance seriously, and remember that we are all sinners and we need to be humble about it. We need to love like God's loves. And we must show that even in our darkest pitfalls, we know the power of his grace because again god's wrath is big but his love for you is even bigger it's even bigger and so for communion in john 15 9 to 17 we're gonna i'm gonna put up this passage and we're gonna take some time to um to break bread and uh, drink the juice right so it says as the father has loved me so have i loved you Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, 
that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Let's go ahead and bow our heads for a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, God, your wrath is powerful. God, time and time again, we have read stories of nations being crumbled, people with their lives changed because they see how much you hurt. They see how much you pain. God, when you watch your children who you created, who you envisioned, who you crafted this life to be close to you, live a life of sin. God, you are a perfect God. You are a God of light. You have no connection with darkness. And it pains your heart, God, that when we choose darkness, that we no longer can commune with you. And so you are sad, God, by the disconnect. You are sad, God, by the inability to connect with us. But, Lord, thank you for your son, Jesus, who is a bridge. Thank you for his sacrifice, his death on the cross, to now be the light that we can have, that we can combat the darkness that divides us and you. God, thank you so much for just the relationship that we have with you, the ways that you have walked with us, that you have carried us in this downward spiral. Lord, that we have seen your wrath at times and have been humbled by it. But Lord, thank you so much that time and time again you choose to love. You choose to forgive. And you will time and time again, God, choose grace over punishment. But let us take take it seriously. Let us be a church that values and are grateful, Lord, for the forgiveness that we have in Jesus Christ. Pray for everything in mighty son's name. Amen.